Hello, podcast friends, and welcome to today's episode of the IT Coffee Break. I'm Anastasia Elisiva, communication specialist at EPAM Czech Republic. Today, we have an expert talk on digital parenting with Daniel Todd. Daniel is a psychologist, YouTuber, and gamer. His childhood dream of becoming a Jedi world saver has come true in an excellent way. He is saving families while coaching parents and kids on technology. Daniel helps to resolve family conflicts on screen time, video games, and social media. Welcome, Daniel. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. So, let's get started. Daniel, I really wonder, what are the most important digital facts you think describe you the best? Well, uh, I would have to state right away that I'm a gaming, as you mentioned. I've spent thousands of hours playing video games so far. I've written hundreds of articles about the subject. Uh, I like my phone to be non-smart uh, because I find it's more easy to have a balanced online offline life this way. I have over 1 million views on my YouTube channel and it's not, not a digital fact, but I'm also a father of two. That sounds impressive. Let's jump to digital parenting. What is the most frequently asked question you get on digital parenting in your practice and how do you answer it? The most common question is usually a tiny bit lazy one because most parents and teachers would like to get one simple trick that can solve all their problems. And that is the one thing that I usually cannot provide. Simple tricks are tricky, right? Yeah, because many of the problems come from the main fact that uh, times are changing very quick now. And for thousands of years, the key of parenting was basically to give on what you've learned from your parents. And this method could work from generation to generation through millennia. But for thousands of years, the way of life did not really change much. So the way of I don't know, hunting deer, for example, or working the fields. Now, today, a parent cannot really raise a healthy kid with the same knowledge and tools that they got from their parents because our lives have changed so much. However, parenting is still parenting, even if it is digital. So what is the best approach here? As you mentioned, uh, how to apply family values to digital activities, how to share knowledge with kids. I find it most effective to use the best uh, parts of both sides. So the kids usually are more adept in learning new things. They are usually faster to learn about the latest uh, hypes. They can teach their parents how certain video games or applications work and the parents are the ones who can provide, as you said, the values. All the things that they learned, uh, they brought from, let's say, the last century, because I think we are both from the last century. Thus, uh, we carry with ourselves certain values that are not really present in the online world. Things like uh, honesty or things like uh, respect. And if a kid is lost in the digital world nowadays, without any of these values, then it's a kind of a catastrophe. And now jumps to the question, when, how, and what kind of technology is appropriate for kids? It's about the second most common question. At what age can I give smartphone to my kids? And my answer is usually another question because I find it false to think in numbers about these uh, questions because if I would ask the question, at what age would you be willing to give your car keys to your children? There is no age when the kid is automatically ready to drive a car. They need to obtain a driver's license. They need to pass the test. So we should apply the same principle here. A kid should only be allowed to have their own smartphone, for example, 
once they are ready for it, once they have been prepared for it by their parents or their teachers, etc. And how do I know when the kid is prepared? Digital parenting in itself uh, starts basically the moment a child is born today. So most parents think that digital parenting uh, starts with school, for example, uh, with uh, along with the uh, technological education, but it's false because digital education starts the moment the kid sees us using our phone, for example. Uh, more often than not, uh, digital parenting in a wrong way starts during diaper change when uh, parents use the smartphones for pacifying the kid or when they are traveling or when they are trying to feed the child. So there are more and more situations when parents realize that it's a sort of practical way to calm, to pacify the kids with a smart device, regardless of the actual device. And it works on a short term, but on the long run, it really does not help the kids to develop in a healthy way. The first two years, it's actually recommended to keep the digital time to zero. It's the recommendation of the World Health Organization, actually. But after a certain point, you cannot keep the kids away from technology indefinitely, because unless you move to island or something like that, you cannot prevent kids from getting in touch with technology. It's, it's unavoidable. So after a certain point, we have to start to prepare them for it. And at this point, I like to uh, refer to the tribes who live, still live in nature. There, a kid is kind of uh, declared an adult by the age of 12 or 13, but only after they passed the necessary tests, which is, for example, for them to survive in the jungle for a week. They are prepared for it in advance. They learn what food they can eat and what is poisonous for them. They learn to spot predators from a mile away. They learn how to avoid dangerous situations and what to do when they are hurt. And this is about the same preparation that a child needs to get today as we prepare for them for the digital jungle because it's also full of things and some are good, some are bad, some are nurturing, some are toxic for them. There are actual predators online, criminals and such. So once I get to the point that I give a device to the kid, no matter whether it's a laptop or a smartphone, whatever, where they are gonna travel in the digital jungle alone, by that point, they must get all the preparation so they can actually manage and survive in the jungle. Do you have some kind of scientific research about this intersection between emotional well-being and digital technologies? Mm -hmm. How do they influence kids? The most harmful effects on the development can be uh, tracked in the first two years, as I mentioned, because if uh, benign parents, without knowing what they're actually doing, uh, keep their devices to the kids, so they are calm and they are having fun playing with it, or just watching the screen, unknowingly uh, derail the children's development. So the nervous system is, uh, is very good at learning, especially in the early age. Kids learn from everything. They learn through other, all their sensors. Uh, their whole existence is about soaking information about the world. And if in these early years, they spend hours daily with screens, um, then unfortunately the nervous system is uh, going to adapt to this kind of existence, which will uh, result in, for example, uh, less uh, development in patients, less development in uh, self-regulation, ADHD, attention deficit disorders. The symptoms of it easily appear in an early age if the kids are spending too much time with digital screen. Uh, behavioral control problems are often attached to this kind of activities. 
actually symptoms of autism are often connecting to this kind of activities uh, because simply put the kids nervous system are conditioned to behave like when they are in front of a screen and when we are using the screen it's a very different way of existing when we are living in this three-dimensional world offline so it can cause many problems in these early ages and after i don't know the age of three or four these are slimming down so if a kid can be sort of prevented of diving into the deep end of the digital jungle for the first two years we've already accomplished a great thing after a while let's say when the kid reaches school age video games for example can start to help actually develop many cognitive skills so they can actually improve their development if once again it's within the healthy parameters So in May 2019, the World Health Organization officially recognized gaming yes. disorder as mental health condition. My question here is, do children really get addicted to screen time and gaming? Mm-hmm. I find it that uh, these things are so new for us that even the adults often uh, get addicted to video games or series or social media or whatever. And uh, mind you, adults who had their time to develop their nervous system, their personality, their uh, problem-solving skill set, their way of communication, their social life, all before they met this kind of uh, digital devices and uh, entertaining stuff. Kids, however, who are born in the last few years did not have that chance So they sort of evolving alongside the digital technology. So they have nothing to fall back to, nothing to rely on. They need uh, help from us, from the adults, the parents, the teachers, the relatives, the friends, a lot more than we did because they have no foundation to rely on. Yes, it's easy for kids to get uh, sort of addicted to, to video games if they are uh, allowed to do so. So boundaries are really, really important. As I see it in my practice, most of the problems arise when parents do not follow their kids' screen time or what they are doing online. So when a kid is abandoned in the jungle without preparation, that's a disaster waiting to happen. And sometimes the, the only thing that happens is that the parent gets the notification that last month your kid spent, I don't know, thousands of dollars on skins and loot boxes and stuff that you can buy in video games and they do not understand how could this happen but there are many 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 forms of problems that can appear in that kind of situation and turning into a form of addiction is one of them it only happens if the kid is abandoned in the jungle if there are regulated uh, screen time for example so the kid can only play i don't know two hours a day then it will not happen but if there are no boundaries then it's it's an easy option. What are the ways to set these appropriate boundaries mm-hmm. for different age groups? Yeah, that's a tricky one because uh, the healthy uh, screen time or digital time should be attributed to the actual age and the personality of the child. The most important thing to keep throughout all life, every age, is the balance between the digital and the offline life. It's very important for a child to eat properly. The daily meals are very important. They cannot be skipped. Healthy amount of sleep time must be preserved in all situations because it's very, very important for their development, for their health, for their balance. It's very important for them to get enough exercise 
to walk, to run, to jump. Most of this can happen simply during playtime if it's offline playtime. It's very, very important for them to establish and maintain relationships with peers because that's how they develop their personality, their communication skills, and many, many other. If the balance is maintained with the homework taken care of and the the necessary amount of uh, sports activities has been also checked from the list, then the screen time can have its own due place in the daily routine. And it's up to the kid's personality, the actual age, and sort of the decision of the parents, how much time that can be. Because um, as long as the video game, for example, is a recreational stuff for the child, you can see that he is enjoying it. And afterwards, feeling better, sort of uh, rejuvenated or rested, so better than before, then it's a healthy picture. But the moment that you see the fact that after the playing session, the kid is actually feeling worse than before because they get frustrated or, or they, they get kind of dull, like nearing a zombie state or something like that, they sort of lose their balance, then they were playing too much already. And it can happen in one hour or four hours. It's not exactly the actual amount of time. It's what the kid was playing with and how he interacts with the video game because the personality, the motivation, how they enter the video game, what they do inside, how they interact with others, etc. They all influence the outcome, the effect of the video game on the kid. Basically, it's the balance between green time and screen time. And here I just can't but ask. Uh, last year changed everything and we are still in the stay-at-home mode and we have everything online right now. Can you help parents somehow to stay sane between online education and working from home? One of the first principles that must be remembered as a parent is that first and foremost, you must take care of yourself in order to be able to help our kids to find it and maintain it. And if we cannot go out, then we must do some exercise indoors. If we cannot go anywhere, then we must read a good book that kind of takes us away from the place and time where we are. If, if we cannot find other activity, we cannot go outside, then we can play board games together, for example, or card games or whatever. There are always alternatives. Uh, we must look for them. That's most helpful for the parents. And what about the kids? My personal experience is about this whole digital education stuff, two-sided, because uh, I had seminars at my former university and also many lectures at schools, for example, in the, during the last uh, year or so. And uh, on one hand, it's it's difficult, of course, because I cannot maintain eye contact with the audience. I cannot see their reactions. It's harder to actually engage them, interact with them. But on the other side, the technology is not always working as we'd like it to work. And I, I had many experiences in universities, for example, when I wanted to show a simple video and I could not because the, the internet system was not strong enough or some, some other technical hiccups happened. This way that we are all connected via our own devices. If I want to use an educational video or a game or whatever, I can do it because everyone is sort of prepared to work with these things. So in a technical level, things are easier now. 
on a psychological level, things are more difficult. And for students, I find that the most uh, important thing that they are lacking uh, is the structure because the school system provided them with a clear structure. Like they had to go there in the morning, they had to stay inside the classroom. It gave them their days, their weeks a structure. And now I heard from many parents that kids are sort of turned into a summer holiday mode. And even uh, though they have some kind of homework and they have some classes online, they do not feel like it's actually school time for them. And sometimes they play video games while they are in the classrooms and uh, they stay up late because they don't have to go to school in the morning. So the structure is something that uh, the kids need. And if the school system cannot provide it for them, then parents must step into the picture and help them along. It's also very important that uh, the school system in itself rarely provides uh, the essential inspiration for the kids. It rarely gives uh, the chance to uh, set and choose their own goals. So in, a, in the school, the kids are done what they are told. You are tasked to learn. Uh, that is one of the reasons, by the way, why kids love video games and the internet so much, because there you have complete freedom. You can be whomever you want to be. You can become anything, become anyone, contact anyone, go anywhere, etc., etc. So it's an enormous freedom. Uh, and what kids need today is guidance in the sense to help them find their own purpose in life. You mentioned already that the digital world brings new risks like this uh, cyberbullying and uh, so on. So it goes from the schoolyard into our homes and it continues there. Yes. So uh, my question here is how to protect kids. While we still want kids to be kids and to learn by making mistakes, how to find this balance? There are two, let's say, security nets that parents can deploy. One, uh, you must prepare the kid for this world. And in the preparation, there must be full honesty and transparency. Because once the kid is online, at any given day, he can run into a criminal that hunts online. He can run into all kinds of predators. So we cannot spare the kid by not telling him about these things. If the kid spends time online alone, there must be preparation. The other side is that you cannot uh, protect your child from everything forever. So sooner or later, they're going to run into a troll. Sooner or later, they're going to run into a hacker. Sooner or later, they're going to run into something unpleasant. And besides preparation, support is the second most important thing. So if the child is not alone, if it's clear that whatever problem they run into, they can turn to the parents, they can turn to the teachers, they can turn to the peers. So if they feel that they are supported, even they, if they run into something bad, then they are protected from a huge bulk of the problems. Because uh, most often than not, it's not the actual event that is problematic. So let's say a criminal finds the child. It's not that event when they interacted. It's the shame, the fear, the ongoing problems that come from the situation when the child is alone with the situation. If, if there is a parent that they can turn to, then the problem will end in minutes. They will make the necessary steps, legal, technological, or otherwise, they can get over it. Then the kid is stuck in the situation and being harassed, hassled, trolled, bullied, etc., for months. 
that's when the really ugly situations happen. And it's also a sad thing that uh, in many situations, the, the cyber bullies, the tormentors, are not uh, evil adults. More often than not, the tormentors are peers, maybe even from the same school or the same class. Only as long as it's invisible for the adults, because the teachers do not see what happening online under the table by texting, for example, or the parents do not follow what happens with their kids online, then the kids are alone, abandoned in the jungle, and they can be torn apart by, by their fellow mates. But if we talk about this daily at home, if we make it a part of our culture to talk about the online events, offline as well, in school, with parents, with teachers, everywhere, then these things uh, quickly begin to change, to shift. Uh, as in the mythology, trolls only dwell in the dark. The sunlight freezes them. So it, it, most of the most vile trolls, who turns out to be, I don't know, 12-year-old kids, only mean and evil and uh, trolling while they are invisible, as long as they are online. The moment that in the school they are sat down and talk about the things openly, who said what and how did it make you feel and why did you do it, etc. These things end quickly. We've discussed a lot of tough questions now. Still, I want to concentrate on the bright side as well, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because one of the most frequent uh, complaints is saying that technology is making people, kids, less smart. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, coding is the new Latin of, of uh, digital times. Yes. That's why, for example, EPAM has a worldwide e-kids learning program when uh, kids can start coding from the early school age and, and get interested into what their moms and dads are doing. So my question here is how else can we support creative learning? How else can we support this digital culture? It's very important to keep in mind that uh, when it's done right, uh, when it's within uh, healthy boundaries, then uh, video games, for example, can help improve many cognitive skills like uh, hand-eye coordination and work memory and a lot of stuff. Creativity is, is very, very important in improving one's chances in life. So if you want to raise a successful child, it's very, very important to teach them how to use their own creativity. And uh, I have heard it a lot that kids usually choose video games over learning or school, for example, because they have a lot more freedom in video games. If we want to support uh, the children in developing their own skills and creativity, then uh, any situation then where they can use it is beneficial. For example, uh, if the kid is learning to play a musical instrument, it's wonderful. If uh, they can regularly do some kind of creative activity like writing or drawing or painting or sculpting or whatever, these things do wonders for the creative juices to get flowing. In general, if they teach them sort of to live their lives as they would do in a video games, and I mean it in a sense that in a video game, you choose your own fate, your own destination. You choose your own skill set. You choose how you face your problems. Unfortunately, we think that in real life, we do not. And that is a, that is a problem. If we can help Uh, children to learn that they can choose their goals in life. They can actually choose how they want to tackle problems in life. They can choose what skills they want to improve, like in video games. Then they can find the joy, the enthusiasm, the determination that they easily uh, experience in video games 
also uh, achievable in real life. Thank you for bringing up this point, Danielle. And is there anything else you want to share with our listeners? Maybe there is uh, an easy tech tip for digital parenting. The easiest tip I can give to any parent or teacher listening is that uh, they should make it part of their daily and weekly routine to improve their knowledge about these things. Because the most important problem is the gap between the generations, the lack of communications and the kids are abandoned. And if we make an effort to follow them, to understand the video games, the social media, the habits of our actual children, we have done a great service. Thank you for spending time with us today. I feel I learned a lot and I think uh, we all have even more questions right now. Uh, my three main takeaways would be, uh, the first point is um, kids really need structure and we shouldn't leave our kids alone in the digital jungle. As uh, Danielle just mentioned, we should make it our daily routine to find time and educate ourselves on digital parenting. The second point is what kids love about video gaming is uh, that they receive this complete freedom, uh, the sense that they can do anything. And the point is that we should uh, try to help kids find this purpose of life where they understand that they can do that not only during the gaming time, they can do that in real life as well. And uh, the third one, the most important one, is that parents should take care of themselves at first. And after that, you can be creative. You can help your kid in this digital jungle. Thank you very much, Danielle, for this great talk. And I'm really looking forward to continuing it next time. Anytime. And what was your takeaway for today? Feel free to share and feel free to ask questions in the comments so we could discuss your questions next time with Danielle. And of course, subscribe to our channel on Anchor and stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you, Danielle. Bye-bye. My pleasure. Bye.